Today on Ag News Daily. The challenges we face today are, are, you know, they're not completely different from what we've had in the past. I mean, farming has always relied so much on the weather. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, joined by our summer. I guess it's not summer anymore. Well, it's still technically summer, but our school intern, Madison Honkamp. Madison, do you know what the actual first day of fall is? I'm not sure I know it off the top of my head. Um, I think it's September 23rd, October 20th. Is it? No, it's not really I think in, it's September, in September, right? I think it's in September. It's like September 23rd or something, or maybe 21st. I'm not sure. Okay, well, it's coming up. Fall is coming up. It's right around the corner. Yes, <laughs> yes it definitely is. It definitely is. Well, we have a good conversation coming up with Zach Youngquist of Youngquist Ag, looking at some ag tech stuff, as well as what the crop is looking like in Illinois. But before we get to that, Madison, do you have any news for us for today? Well, Delaney, one um, bigger thing that I saw today was the EPA is now going to be required in look to look at the effects of biofuels on different wildlife species. Um, they are having to consult with different federal wildlife agencies on the impacts of its 2018 rule setting for renewable fuel targets in D.C. So obviously this is going to be something that we're going to be watching, but the court kept the rule in place that, but remanded it to the EPA in order to determine effects on threatened and endangered species. So we'll see what how this plays out. Yes, absolutely. So a little bit more background uh, news on that or background to that story because I had that as well. The D.C. Court of Appeals was basically ruling on a couple of different factors, including the 2018 blending requirements under the RFS, mm-hmm. and it ordered the agency to go back and conduct an Endangered Species Act review as well. And then as you mentioned there it found that the um they they concluded that basically all the challenges to the rfs lacked merit except for the one that the epa has violated its obligations under the endangered species act by failing to determine whether the 2018 rule may affect endangered species whether that renewable fuel standard may affect endangered species so we will watch how that one continues to chug along here. But really, I think the big takeaway mm-hmm. here is they did not make any challenges to the blending requirements. But it seems that the Trump administration is getting ready to make some sort of announcement here over the near future to mitigate some of those concerns over small refinery exemptions, according to AgriPulse. And apparently they have received details of this deal which include language to include a 500 million gallon, uh, which includes language to include the 500 million gallons called for in the 2017 court case and an additional 500 million biofuel mandate compliance credits to be used in the 2021 blending target. So I think essentially what they're saying there is we could see basically up to a billion dollars more included in blending targets for the 2021 mm-hmm. mandate. Yes, definitely. And I know one thing that they really touched on with the EPA is they've seen lots of different errors with these blending requirements, but they haven't really 
gone to correct them. And I think that's kind of the bigger thing that they really want to focus on with this. Yes, I think that you are spot on the nose there, Madison. What else is uh, <laughs> jumping out at you today? <laughs> well, Delaney, there was one thing. I know we've, poultry has kind of been in the news a lot with the price fixing and wage fixing uh, go- lawsuit going on right now. But we could see poultry possibly going into the U.S.-U.K. trade talks. Obviously, if negotiations ever pick up um, with agriculture again. Mm -hmm. But one issue has been chicken because the UK doesn't really like how we process chicken. Um, Obviously, um, the American practice, so to speak, is washing the chicken carcasses with chemicals to kill pathogens like salmonella and E. coli. And it is known as a pathogen reduction treatment, but it is banned in the EU. So it, that's kind of that we need to find a way around that almost if poultry really wants to be in these trade talks. And one other thing that they really emphasized on um, was they don't like that Americans don't really buy any British beef, lamb, or even haggis from Scotland and so this is, again, something we'll have to be watching. Um, but I believe August 31st is kind of their goal for t- for um, trade talks. With, to either pick up trade talks yeah. or see where they want to go. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. A little bit more on that, too. Um, basically, Vice President Mike Pence has been meeting with leaders of the British Parliament to get a trade agreement there with the UK as soon as possible. We know Brexit is still a little bit of the hold up there as well as some of those other issues, Madison, that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. But uh, I want to go back to a, a point you made there about haggis. Madison, do you know what haggis is? Yes, it's gross. It sounds <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> do you want to share for us what it is? It's actually the national dish of Scotland, which I did not know. It's in this article that I'm reading. And it's a they call it a pudding that's mm-hmm. made from a sheep's heart, liver, and lungs, and it's all like stuffed into the intestine, small intestine. Yeah, and, it's like a think, like a pudding is it pie. Right, uh, I think it's like a pudding pie of basically the sheep's innards cooked, yeah. or I think it's cooked into like a like a shepherd's pie almost. But honestly, if people in the U.S. are already having issues eating like normal products, like hamburgers and beef and they're turning to alternative meat sources I don't think that haggis is going to be high on consumers list yeah I I really don't think we're going to see haggis coming into the United States uh if it does it might be staying on store shelves for a little Mm, while I would say so I would say so Madison but one thing that has not been staying on store shelves especially in China has been pork we, of course, have seen the largest surge of U.S. exports to the to China from the U.S. In July, we saw a record 233,242 metric tons in July head out to China despite the ongoing trade war. But this is an interesting tidbit of news here. The U.S. Dairy Export Council, who's, of course, run and led by President and CEO Tom Vilsack, 
said that they have been continuing the dialogue with China, talking about how whey protein not only helps kind of fill that void in the in the time when pork is at extreme highs over there in China, but also accelerating the repopulation of China's hog hog herd. According to Vilsack, he said that research shows that feeding this whey protein to lactating sows can accelerate the repopulation of their hog industry, and that's also used pretty widely among babies and some of the elderly. It's a great source of protein, he says, and it's also a great source of protein to help get some of those hog herds repopulated and He said they're basically sharing this information with the Chinese in an effort to continue along the good faith there and help provide some support for the U.S. during the ongoing trade talks. So I thought that was an interesting little piece of news there. Yes, it definitely is. But so with this, how does it increase repopulation, I guess? I want to, that's interesting. I am not 100% sure. I'm not a scientist, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. But he said it's it's helping, it helps with the lactating cells. So maybe it helps them lactate uh, better, faster. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to do a little digging to figure that one out. Maybe helping um, like the piglets grow faster. Is that what they mean more of? Possibly. Yes, that that very well could be the guess there, Madison. Possibly. I don't know. It sounds like a, it sounds someone right ish. Yeah, somebody let us know. Tweet us to Facebook us. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please do all of those things. <laughs> but um, looking at really other meat exports too, poultry that's been a big one. Pork's been a big one, but even beef exports have held relatively steady during the past couple of months. And over year over year here, they've risen one percent from. This time last year, and we're at over 117,842 metric tons, but pork exports up 32% from year over year in July. So we are starting to see the demand of pork pick up in China. It just maybe hasn't been this huge flood that we thought originally was going, going to head over to China. It's been more of a trickle effect instead, it seems. Yes, definitely. Madison, what is what else is uh, jumping out at you today? Uh, well, Delaney, I am actually all out of news for today. Well, Madison, let's take a look at where those commodity markets closed for today. There's lots of red on the screen, even after some positive news yesterday with continued trade talks. It didn't seem like that was quite enough news to pick up the grain markets. Starting off here in the September corn contract, down four and a quarter cent to end the day at three forty-two and a quarter. The December contract cut three cents to end at three fifty-five and three quarters, nearing some of those contract lows we set earlier this year. In the September soybean contract, the they also cut four and a quarter cent to end at eight forty-five and a half, while the November cut four cents to close at eight fifty-seven and a half. In the wheat pits, the September contract lost four cents today to close at four sixty, even while the December contract down two and a half cents to close at four sixty-three and three quarters. Up and over into the livestock pits, not a pretty day for the live cattle. The October contract was almost limited down at three dollars to close at ninety-four eighty-seven and a half. The December contract down two forty-seven to close at ninety-nine seventy-five. In the feeder cattle's 
Pitts, the weakness continues with the September contract cutting a dollar oh five to end at one thirty three thirty five. The October contract cut a dollar forty two to shed to end at one thirty ninety. In the lean hog pits, the October contract shed two dollars and eighty cents to close at sixty three fifty. The December shed three dollars to close at sixty two forty seven and a half. And in the dairy markets, they were the only winners for today's markets with the September contract closing up six cents to end at seventeen ninety six. The October up eight cents to end at seventeen seventy one. Now, as promised, we're going to have a great conversation today with Zach Youngquist of Youngquist Ag. For today's Friday episode, I'm joined by Zach Youngquist of Youngquist Ag out in Illinois, central Illinois there. Zach, thanks for joining me this Friday. It's good to be here. Thanks, thanks for having me, Delaney. So, Zach, tell our listeners a little bit about Youngquist Ag and your background, kind of how you got your start in the field. Um, so I, myself, am a fifth generation farmer. Um, I'm in my mid thirties, well, early thirties. Uh, my, uh, my, we've been farming, like I said, five generations. My father has been uh, selling pioneer seed for, uh, the majority of my lifetime. And when I came back from college, um, in 2009, um, I kind of took over my, uh, my grandfather's side of the farm and started working with my dad. Um, he had a precision planting um, aspect of the pioneer seed operation that I took over. Um, and then I managed that for several years as well as farmed. Um, kind of came into the seed business, uh, you know, a couple of years later. And then we, dad and I together, um, spearheaded mostly by me, uh, got into um, we got into chemical sales and fertilizer sales as well as custom application. Uh, and we have a consulting, a consulting arm as well that we have um, been working with growers on. Uh, we've turned it into a fairly large independent uh, um, retail, retail operation here, still maintaining the Pioneer Seed, blank, seed brand and, um, and, you know, really trying to provide that extra, that extra assistance to the grower. So that's kind of how we've come to be. And, um, I don't think there'd be other any other industry that I would enjoy my job as much and and want to be in. So, yeah, and fifth generation is that's a pretty good chunk of time to have continuous farming families. So that's really exciting, really neat for your family. For sure, for sure. Yeah, it's 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 uh, you know it's in our blood. You know, my first my first word uh, when I was born was bombine, uh, combine, obviously. So I think. <laughs> I think I'm doing the right thing that I was meant to do. I, I don't think that would, would be any different. So. so, Zach, tell me a little bit about some of the the practices that you're using on your farm, and then what are you consulting with farmers? Since obviously maybe when your great-great-great-grandparents started farming, you're doing things a little bit differently than what they did on their farm. So what challenges, what practices are you using to adapt to today's day and age? I would say, um, you know, cha- the challenges we face today are, are you know, they're not completely different from what we had in the past. I mean, farming has always relied so much on the weather. So, you know, everything that we do, we can only, we can only actually, you know, we're not only able to change a, a little bit, but that little bit that we can change, you know, the tools at our disposal is a vast, vast majority more today than there was even 10 years ago. 
uh, from a technology standpoint, from a, um, you know, from, from a, you know, just technology equipment, all the above. Um, when I came back to the farm, we were pretty heavy, um, you know, ripping and uh, a lot, a lot of tillage done on the farm. Grandpa was really big into that. You know, he loved spreading, you know, a lot of fertilizer every year, you know, really that was kind of his mentality. Well, you can't ever spread enough. And, um, I, I came into the mix seeing that there were some, you know, opportunities, you know, finding different ways to potentially you know, grow the crop. And that was, you know, through strip till, um, you know, we stopped, we stopped the chisel plowing and the, well, really the, that type of, you know, heavy tillage practice and, um, uh, bought a, bought a Krause gladiator running dry fertilizer in a row at a reduced rate ahead of the corn crop. Um, and we actually, um, we bought an airway as well as another machine that we use in the farm side, um, to, you know, for lots of reasons, you know, you, it, you're, you're creating, you're able to create a layer of, uh, of good water absorption, you know, running, running that airway as opposed, and you're still able to mix the soil up a little bit without creating that compaction layer you do with the most, most of your other tillage tools. And we do that ahead of our corn on corn. We're pretty heavy, continuous corn. Um, and those are, those are the kind of things that we've changed a little bit when I came back. And one of the biggest things that I like to focus on, and one thing that we've taken to our growers, which I do believe, um, you know, kind of sets our, our business apart from the rest, is just the amount of time and dedication that we spend um, on those acres. You know, it, it's there, there's there are so many different things out there that you know farmers get from a retail perspective or a technology perspective. Uh, it's really hard for them to have the decision-making confidence in this rapidly changing and evolving ag environment. You know, that decision-making confidence, I think weighs pretty heavy on them and it's it's hard to have that insight and clarity and true clarity into what they're doing the decisions they make every year and i think us being on the acre as often as we are really does help um you know set that apart and you know give them some of that confidence zach explain to me a little bit more what you mean by that getting confidence in the decisions that they're making how are do you mean the way that they're taking their data or do you mean the people that they're surrounding themselves with a little bit of both you know we we have so so much technology today where we have oodles and oodles of data you know it's 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 easy to get yield maps it's easy easy to get soil maps it's easy to get um you know, what you sprayed where, you know, all those different things. And, but it's hard to interpret it. You know, it's, it's, it's how you use the data. I mean, there are so many companies and, and, and grower between growers and, and, and retail agencies alike that do a lot of, a lot of this work, but it, it comes down to actually evaluating that data. And, you know, that, that confidence in the evaluation is, is where you have to go that extra mile because every farm, you know, everyone farms very differently. You know, you, there's no one size that fits all. And a lot of companies try to push that one size fits all attitude and it does not work. And, you know, you don't, you know, our, our, our whole, our consulting arm, which we call ROI advisor, it's based in just that ROI. And, you know, yield does not parallel profit. It never has. Yeah, it's cool to punch out those big, big bushels. But, you know, if you've spent another $60 to make another 50, that doesn't make much sense. And the evaluation of the data you get off of that, that ROI analysis, you know, it, 
farmers are they're very bright individuals and a lot of people don't give them the credit for that the abilities they genuinely have and i feel that when you provide that extra that extra layer of of assistance whether it's actually being in the field with them um, and truly focusing on that roi more than just yield they'll start to see that and their confidence in that will grow if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. So, Zach, I, let me ask you this then. I'm challenging you today on Friday, but uh, what do you think then is the solution for growers who have all these companies, they have all these options, they have all this data available to them? How do they, I, I mean, what, what's their next step to make sure that they're not just being maybe passive farmers, so to speak? Uh, it, it's The next step is, that, that's a hard question, thanks, Delaney. Um, the uh, <laughs> I would say I would say really, it's it's that independent that independent consulting ability. So, you know, we have you know all 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 these companies are great. You know, I would say Pioneer has phenomenal agronomists that we work with. These guys are brilliant. Um, you know, there's 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 lots of there's lots of people out there who are genuinely trying to help you be a better farmer, and. Um, I think one thing that gets lost a lot and one thing that farmers need to do a better job maybe interpreting is is the guys who genuinely are out there trying to make them better and then the guys who are genuinely out there, you know, trying to just kind of push a sale, you know, this looks really good on paper and move it forward. Um, you know, in today's day and age, a, a farmer needs to be better at, you know, interpreting who's doing what. And the, the guys who are out there, you know, the guys who really care, the, the genuine, the agronomists, the people who have that, you know, that knowledge and insight well above and, and beyond my own abilities even, um, those are the guys you need to, you need to really, you know, be spending the most time with. Um, because there are lots of things that we see every year, you know, like this year, for example, we, you know, the way the crop went in, everyone said doom and gloom, there's no way we're going to raise anything. Well, the USDA has a pretty big number out there. And unfortunately, there is quite a bit of corn out there. Yeah. Um, you know, how, how, how did that happen? You know, how, we, we, go, we go to next year after this year and the years we've had in the last few, you know, where we just had phenomenal yields. And we, we, do we really evaluate how it happened or do we kind of forget about it and just go back to our status quo? Uh, changing that status quo, and it's hard. I mean, farmers in general don't like to change. Um, you know, we're a pretty stubborn bunch. You know, we do what we do because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's always worked, and it, it right. has worked. There's so much longevity in it. And but I think that extra evaluation on what really does make the difference is, and that's your that's your ROI at the end of the day. Um, so I guess I, I kind of jumped around the question maybe a little bit. But, no, I, yeah, but uh, I think you're. I think that makes sense. I, I especially like the status quo. I think that makes a lot of sense. But Zach, since you kind of led us into that, talking about this crop year in particular, we've got to know. We've got to get an update. You're there over in, in Illinois. How are crops looking in your part of the state? And how are crops looking as you've traveled maybe around the state a little bit in consulting? Um, I would I would say, and you know, we had. Western Illinois, we had a pretty dry spell there, longer than most, and actually we were kind of in drought mode there for a minute. Um, we got some really timely rains to kind of help this crop finish out um, that we needed desperately. I mean, we also were the ones who got the most April corn planted. So um, that April corn, while it is variable, where it's good, it's 
really, really good. It's as good as it has been in the years past, but there are a lot of holes out there and the variability is extreme. You know, the, the checks that I have done um, pretty extensively the last several weeks, you know, you're talking yield checks in the range from, you know, 60 bushel to 280 bushel in one field. And, um, you know, that combine pass is going to vary by 100 bushel from side to side. So, uh, trying to actually to a yield like what the USDA comes out with, I think, seems to be pretty, pretty difficult. However, we have gotten a lot better at packing in weight, packing in the bushels. Um, the last several years, you know, hybrids have a lot of flex to them these days. And, you know, it's, it's hard to count that depth and that extra, that extra weight. So, you know, when the USDA comes out with a number that's lower or high, we wonder how that's possible. Well, you know, a lot of that has to do with the hybrids of the day. And uh, it's just, but yeah, extreme, extreme variability, Delaney, um, mm-hmm. all over the board. Dune planted corn does not look as good as the April stuff. Um, and it's just, it kind of depends on when you got the rain there, especially yeah. for that June planted corn. Yeah, and I think this year is just going to be so interesting to see if it's possible to just kind of grow ourselves out of a weather market, so to speak, if we've got the technology in place. I think this year is going to be the year to be like, well, we've got drought-resistant technology, and it looks like the technology that we have in place with our seeds and hybrids is also water or, you know, during the wetter years, also maybe a little more hardy to that too. So I think this year is going to be quite an interesting one. No doubt. And, and going forward, you know, if we are able to raise as large of a crop as we have, um, and then say next year and the year after we can get back to raising what we have in the last few years, um, you know, this whole ROI aspect is going to come into play even larger than it has as in the recent past. You know, we're burning through, we're, we're burning through work, working capital, you know, not quite like we did in the eighties, but it's, it's, it's not super far from that. And the, we, we need to do a much better job of evaluating you know, what cash rent farms are. Are we farming those extra acres because we just want to farm those extra acres? Or is that actually making us money as a, as a whole operation? Probably not in a lot of circumstances. Um, and, you know, the thing is the tools that we're, we're doing with our growers and using, um, you know, Ag Solver, you know, you know, basically breaking out profit by zone, by field. Um, you know, what do you do with those zones that have been unprofitable for year over year over year? I mean, are, can you do something different? Can you reduce your inputs there? You know, how, how do you truly evaluate those areas that are losing you money? Because ultimately, we're going to have to get rid of those areas that are losing us money, especially in this tight, this tight climate that I think is going to get even tighter Absolutely. Um, going forward. Yeah, so. it's a pivotal time in agriculture. That's for sure. Zach Youngquist, thanks so much for joining me today. All right. Well, again, a big thank you there to Zach Youngquist of Youngquist Ag. I tell you what, Madison, this growing season is going to be an interesting one. And folks, we want to hear from you. We want to stay in tune with you, what's going on in your fields. Madison, how can they do that? How can they share that information with us? Well, Delaney, listeners can always find us on the web. Or, or on social media, I guess I should say, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Ag News Daily and at Global Ag Network. We'd love to be able to share photos and share, you know, what people are doing, how they're contributing to the industry, what's going on in their operations, and all of that fun stuff. But Delaney, if they want to get caught up on past episodes, maybe while they're while they're in the field or in the barn, they can always find us 
at our website at globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, really anywhere you can find podcasts. Absolutely. Or you can always check out any one of the other fantastic podcasts that we have right now on globalagnetwork.com. They're always uploading new episodes as well, so do check those out. Madison, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 